0: episode 259 of the sausage factory welcome and merry christmas yes this is the last show before christmas so thought i'd say that now put a, put a throw at you hope you have a lovely one whatever you're doing stuffing yourself with mince pies and turkey and and maybe ham i don't know whatever what people do at christmas the various things but yes have a lovely one from me in this episode, I talked to Don Bellinger of Super Scary Snakes. He of the creator of roguelike arcade adventure game Black Future88. Now, for listeners of the computer game show, you may think it's some sort of link with the Game of the Year show. This is not, it's a pure coincidence. Calm down. Anyway, what else is under Caden Winch's vast umbrella? Well, there is Caden Winz, of course, on Monday this week. It's Donkey Kong Country Returns. It's an excellent episode. I've listened to it myself just recently. Oh, yes, very good. Then we have Sound of Play on Wednesdays, where we celebrate the scores of music on video games. And on Thursday, we have Playwright. Two people called Ryan chat about games that they invent based on the ideas sent to them by their listeners. It is most excellent. And of course, Fridays is the Sausage Factory, but again, you knew that because you're listening to this now. So thanks. Thanks for that. If you want to find out more about all those shows and archives and also blog posts, a forum, all sorts of things, you can go to canarince.com. Yes, we have a website that's fully functioning and fully updated and a thing that you should go and check out because it's great. So yeah, Kenanrinz.com. Especially this, we're actually doing some uh end of year stuff, some specials. Won't say any more than that. But yeah. Exciting. And there was also a Twitch stream as well. If you go to twitch.tv forward slash you'll find our channel. If you follow it, you can actually see our video output from there. We have um, MK Home Base on Friday evenings. He's uh Streaming Double Dragon 3 at the moment. He's trying to defeat it. I think he's always very close to finishing it. On, it's an NES game. Or NES game. I don't, I don't know. Then there's Darren Gargett is streaming various times over the weekend. Sometimes Saturday. Sometimes Sunday. He's doing the Sonic games at the moment. And for me, I'm regular on Sundays. Uh, it's, uh, normally at 8pm GMT or BST. Depending on the time of year. Streaming random games on random platforms. This week, though, it's a bit of a special because you know it's Christmas. I'm actually doing Dark Side as, uh yeah, Dark Side as Genesis. I'll made something else then, but it's a really good hacking slash uh, arcade adventure game that I'll be streaming from 4 p.m. GMT on Sunday for a full five hours or so. So yeah, but it's a special sort of thank you to our listeners and viewers. So if you can pop in and uh, watch me play a action adventure game. Of this recently released it's only been about two weeks old so it's a very very young game and i really liked it i played it at egx and i was uh enthralled by it so yes i'm looking forward to streaming that on sunday now if you want to chuck us some coin you can um you we have a patreon if you go to patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse or one word of course then you can actually chuck us one dollar a month one us dollar a month and that's you uh, know that's all we need. And uh, you can chuck us more if you like, if you wish. But that's the one tier we have currently. And if you do that, not only do you get our gratitude, of course, but also you get extra content, early content. You get extended editions of Gain and Rinse. You get uh, early access to the platform exclusive, the next of which will be the PSP. And I know quite a lot about that particular episode because things are happening. But yes, that's going to be released uh, uh, um, early next year. Very exciting. But yes... And there's also the monthly podcast that Jay and Leon do to exclusively to Patreon subscribers. It's never released to the public. So if you want to get access to that glorious content, then tuck us a coin once a month. This one US dollar. Well, enough of that. Do you want to listen to me from the past? The Christmas past. Maybe I'm the ghost of Christmas past in this. No? Maybe not. Anyway, Chris, please tell us what's going on with Black Future 88 don hi who are you
1: and what do you do oh that's a great question uh my name is don Ballinger. i just made a game called black future 88 and i think what i do is i make kind of real I, I would like to think that i make interesting games
0: well that's an understatement because <laughs> black future 88 is a just amazing backstory and it's just it is very black and very future but it's Yeah, it's not because it's 1988, which is strange because I was 17 then, so that's (laughs) that's a year. (laughs) Yeah, I was a teenager in the 80s. Think about that for a moment. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, thinking, <laughs> thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. You go, really? You what? You saw that? Yeah, firsthand when people was like reminiscing, <laughs> going, "That stuff's so cool." Like it, it really wasn't. <laughs> I,
1: I have a lot more respect for my parents for uh, you know trying to bring a child into the, the world in the eighties. Yeah, uh, but it, being yeah. a teenager in it, think about it. Yeah, because I, I just played Black <laughs> Future '88, so I have quite a, a lot of expertise in the eighties, and it's, it was a crazy time. Apparently.
0: It was. Stuff was happening. We didn't realize how important it was. That was the weird thing. We just yeah. didn't know. You know what I mean? It's just like, this is really like seminal, is it? I just it seems a bit goofy to me. No, seriously, it matters. It will matter in I've, 30 years. I've
1: not years. progressed much past the 80s, honestly. Like, <laughs> I think a, certain, a lot of my taste is still very much stuck in there.
0: Um, I do find the 90s stuff a bit jarring. Anyway... We can talk about that later when we, we delve into the second half of the show, because that's a, that's, a, that's a common thread that uh, okay. when we delve into the things. But we do need to find out a little bit more at you, Don. So um, we've already answered the first question. Well done. See, look, it starts off easy, then it ramps up into ridiculous places. I'm I,
1: really good at this, Chris. I'm <laughs> uh, one of the best. <laughs> so... <laughs> Answering questions about myself. Uh almost nobody can do it better than me.
0: I'm so. sure. I'm sure. Although question three, you're gonna wanna wring my neck. Number two, how did you make your start making video games?
1: Um, you know, I actually started um I, I didn't go to school for computer science or anything. Uh I actually started out just kinda as like a flash web developer. Um and that I kinda came in at a really good time when Um, kind of the language that backed it was still really approachable for a non-programmer. And that started maybe, I guess, 20 years ago. Um, So that's kind of when I first started writing software. Uh, And then I really, around the same time, Flash gaming happened, and I started playing a lot of desktop tower defense. And I'm like, oh, God, this game is really fucking cool. And there's like, indie games? What are these? Um, And eventually I, I started doing kind of more like bigger web projects and then flash kind of got replaced by like unity and stuff um and it, i slowly slowly turned into a real game developer and not quite a real programmer but um i think that's close enough so yeah uh, and i i worked in a studio for a while and had some very mixed experiences i would say um and then coming back as an indie was was kind of where I really felt like that's that's going to be the thing I like. I want to be an indie developer.
0: Yeah, I'm, I've said it a few times on the show, but that period about 12 years ago, it was 12 years ago, by the way, when the iPhone appeared and when indie arcade games started arriving properly on Xbox, everything yeah. changed. Everything changed. Um, you could argue that Steam was already earlier than that. That's true. But, it's you know... <laughs> It's a platform we still know and use. I was going to say love, but let's not go there. Um, and uh, I know, you know, um, Black Future 888 is definitely on there. It's, what, it's the platform I played it on because I still play games on my PC. So then, uh, uh, and, um, and yeah, it's, it's so those barriers that were once there for so, so long held by so. I mean, the keys to those barriers was held by so few people. Uh, who generally didn't know really what they were doing.
1: <laughs> oh, very much. Very much they didn't know what they were doing. I would, I would argue the same as uh, it, it's still true.
0: Yes, it's still tr- Absolutely. still do not know what they're doing. i like to... <laughs> I mean, you look at the latest Star Wars game, which I still haven't got because reasons. Um, and, well, I'm just busy, my friend. Uh, I might play it over Christmas. I don't know. We've got a Christmas game, right? Uh, and the point is... They, they, they weren't going to make it. They were going, let's just push it over the edge and it might sell. And look at it. It's old Gangbusters, apparently a game that people don't want to play because it, you know, various sort of, uh, business decisions that they don't like. were you're talking make. about the Star Wars game? Yeah. yeah. People didn't want to play it?
1: Didn't people like, it's a Star Wars game. Yeah, I mean, exactly. But it's, it. a,
0: it's a <laughs> single-player game. There's no... There's no like micro sort of transaction stuff. There's no loot boxes. It's just oh. a straight game made by EA, which you who'd have thunk it. But there it is, and there's a game they thought they couldn't release, and yet they could. And they, you know, it's just again, you, like you said, people who did have all that power back then in the late late nineties late and through to the early two thousands, you know, for a very long time, or even earlier than that, they had all the 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 the, the uh, resources. But I just generally didn't know what they were doing, and it took the people actually making the game to say, "Look, go away. Let's just talk to the audience, and you can you can do whatever you're doing over there. Let's just talk to the audience." And then you get games like Stanley Parable, and Gone Home, et cetera, Yeah, etc. You,
1: you know what's so crazy about this, like the Star Wars thing, is like, you know, the indie part of the industry is like, the indie developers are going to take risks. They're going to take big ones. They might not work out, and that's fine. And, you know, the AAA part of the industry, like, they, they, they're generally, like, more risk-averse. But for the Star Wars game, like, the biggest risk is, like, hey, we're going to make just a good single-player game. Like, that's, yeah. that's like, the domain of the risk. Like, that's that's crazy. That's not really a risk. It's like, it's, it's it's like oh, we're so brave, you know, we're yeah. not going to make a game as a service. Like, that, that's not yeah. really that
0: risky. That's so not that risky. And yet everyone's going, see? See? like... They can be, you know, sensible. Like, no, this is kind of like low barrier to entry kind of. Yeah, it's, it's
1: like the it's biggest publisher of... in the world working with the biggest IP in the world, and like, like bravo, player. I guess that's cool. Yeah, I mean, of course it's like a, a fine game. Like, there's very little room for that to really fall over. I would think. Yeah. Stop, um,
0: you know, thanks for not being monsters! Yay! Yeah. So that's. <laughs> That's
1: crazy to me. It's like that's where <laughs> the risk was as making a single player game.
0: Yeah. Crazy. Weird. Crazy. But it's where we are. But you know, whatever. Uh I say whatever. It doesn't it does matter. But those of us who are so embedded in the medium itself sometimes forget that there are people who aren't so embedded. Uh yeah. and we uh can't see the woods and the trees. And we go, Well of course you'd want to play X game rather than that. Like what what is that? Like you know, it's still still Right. Well next question. I've warned you about question three, so I've got okay, you, but uh, deep breaths. Every time I ask this is difficult. But here we go. As a creator of things, what are your biggest influences?
1: Oh so that's that's a very interesting question. I I think I would answer it two ways. Um it's uh, as a creator of things Mm. and that is, would be one answer. And then a creator of video games would, would be something else. Okay. Um, And I think as, as a video game maker, I think it's really important to, to have like a kind of a wall between the rest of the fucking video games in the world. (laughs) And I I think, I think there's a problem that a lot of game makers get into is like, they're going to make, they're kind of going to like approach a genre and they, wind up kind of remaking their favorite game minus the parts that they don't like. Um, And and for me, I I think the best way to avoid that is to mostly read more books and to bake more bread and to, like, garden more and to, you know, go on long walks. Um, And and very little of that has to do with, like, being influenced by video games. Um, I think game design doesn't really necessitate a ton of, like gameplay history uh and i i am constantly you know called out on that a lot of people say oh it's like this mechanic from this game that i never played
0: Uh,
1: (laughs) and i'm like well i I don't know it could be and then i'll have you know conversations with other developers or people that play games like oh did you play you know final fantasy whatever and i'm like dude i've never played a single final fantasy game (laughs) Uh, i have so many like egregious gaming blind spots yeah, um, and a lot of it is because it, it's really important to me that w- if I'm going to make a game, it needs to be influenced by pretty much everything but other video games. Um, so for the for the case of Black Future '88, um, to me, I had like important experiences growing up around fog machines and lasers, and uh, going to Cure concerts with my sister, and like going to indoor arenas with like monster trucks and like. Just seeing just like pure spectacle and like the scale of things. Uh, that to me was really important. That, that to me is a bigger influence than really any game I played. Um, yeah, so that, that's me and video games. I guess maybe the answer is kind of the same with, you know, as a creator of things. I, I think I, I really look at things outside the medium that I'm working in. Um, I think film and music and music videos are a great source of inspiration That can be kind of applied to to many things.
0: Yeah, Yeah. excellent answer. Very well, you you figured it out immediately. The amount of times I've had to explain that (laughs) question—it's a
1: its it's
0: beguiling. Like what? What Yeah, yeah. But you get it. Well done. Well, what what would like? What what do you think? Like a a
1: a wanting answer would would be like if I said, "Hey, I, I." well, I play the shit out of Dead Cells and Binding of Isaac. Like, yeah, yeah I guess that that would be it. Like, yeah, that would be that would be
0: possible. a that would yeah. be a dare I say, a trite answer, but you didn't do that. Of course, you didn't.
1: Yeah, I you know I, I feel like I, I played Dead Cells because like I was working on a platformer roguelike and then all of a sudden I saw an article. It's like, holy shit! Like fucking Dead Cells is amazing. I'm like, oh shit, that game looks just like mine. Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> I need to play it so like I know like.
0: How I, I, not to be
1: accused of copying dead cells? Like oh I need yeah. to have enough of like I need. No, it I can't d- just exist in my periphery.
0: I don't think uh, it does, if I may say, Don. I think uh, it's a very superficial thing to say, not you but others, because the movement of Black Future is twenty times faster than dead cells. Uh, yeah, it's more plodding. Not anything wrong with that, but that's their pace. The pace of if you're if you stop for three seconds, or a second. in Black Future AA, then you're in trouble. Which, yeah, again, it's the wonderful thing about the game is that it's one of those things that the adrenaline gets going because you're like, a hey, you've got you've got no time, no time, no yeah, time.
1: Literally every second counts for <laughs> something. Count.
0: Like, <laughs> and, and also, if you if you stop for what what are you doing? I'm picking this up. Okay, granted, but was other it than worth that,
1: it? <laughs> did it help? Did you think ahead? Was that a, <laughs> was that worth your time to pick it up?
0: It's just like, what is it? Oh, it's an ammo tree. You've got full ammo. Yeah, oh, yeah, it wasn't worth it. You
1: didn't think <laughs> hard enough about... You didn't think about every detail of what you're doing, so you See, failed. See, and
0: that, that is not present in Dead Cells. You can methodically go through... Even to the point where you can wait for your optimum moment to attack something. Yeah. And again, not a problem, but for Black Future 88, what are you doing? Oh, there's an the optimum. There's no optimum. The only optimum is 18 minutes anyway yeah it's an 18 minute sprint yeah. <laughs> so you got so next question i might know the answer to this although i may not because yeah. we've already talked around this subject but it's one i like to ask is because it, it gives you an indication of how worldly wise you are about the the the, the, the industry itself so here oh, we god. are oh god all yeah, right I know. ready it's this is fine it's fine i'll get in trouble uh what developer do you most admire in the industry and why what developer? You point to them and go, keep doing the thing you do. Great, thanks. Oh,
1: man. could be
0: a person uh, or a company, by the way. It doesn't
1: have to be. A person or a company.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: God. You know, I, it also kind of... Okay, I'm, I'm kind of stumbling over this. I, I'm going to give kind of an unconventional answer. That's fine. Um, there, there's a developer, um, Jonas Turner. Uh, okay. He made this game called... And it it kind of stretches what you might call a developer. Um, He's a musician and a sound designer, but he also made a game himself called Tormentor X Punisher that was just, like, a crazy fucking game. Like, it was so (laughs) weird. And it was uh, way too hard and way too intense for me, personally, as a person who plays games sometimes. Um, But that game, like, it's kind of like... First of all, his sound and his music is really, really good. He's working on atomic crops right now, which is just, like, a really, like, boundary-pushing game for me. Um, and by, I think that kind of, um, like, everything that Jonas Turner has, has worked on it has kind of pushed the envelope in a way that's, like, really forced me to keep up with him. Um, so he... You know, Nuclear Throne is a game that really pushes me to my edge, and you know, he did music and sound on that. But it it kind of has, you know, a lot in common with with Tormentor X Punisher for me. Um, but that I think it, games that hit me from like out of left field and like, what the fuck is this game? Like, am I playing this right? Like, where I still have like a lot of um, curiosity about the game even after playing it for like. You know, several hours. I, I feel like I'm still like zeroing in on like what is the best way for me to play this game because like all these strategies that I'm trying like throwing at this game are just like not working out. Um Those to me are, are really good games. Those games are really exciting to me. Um, and then also another developer is I guess whoever made Steven Sausage Roll. Like <laughs> that
0: game is crazy. I don't,
1: I don't actually never made it. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, but yeah. just
1: in terms of like. Exquisite puzzle design. Um, yeah, I was I also just played um, Yoku's Island Express with my daughter, and that game is
0: incredible. Um, it's 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 a work of genius. It, yeah, it is uh, beautiful, beautiful.
1: I I love that game more than Hollow Knight, and I did not think I could love a game more than I loved Hollow Knight. Um, and yeah, Yoku's Island Express, like they took a game where like pinball, like I fucking hate pinball. Like enter, like it has so much entropy in it that success and failure just kind of feel random. Like, Oh, I I hit the ball. I bounced around a bunch too fast for me to really understand what's going on. And then it fell right between my paddles. Like that's, that's like, that's pinball, like in a nutshell and it feels terrible, but they, they took that and they softened the edges. They made failure not like they made it always feel within your control. They taught you to play better pinball and then just, like, the world design in the game and the charm and the polish is, like, is incredible. It, that is a really, really incredible game. Um, so just because it's so top of mind, I guess I'm going to really come full circle around and say that Villa Gorilla, uh, <laughs> they, they make great games. Um, just because Yokos Island Express is amazing.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. I streamed it about two or three months ago now. And people were just like, this game's stunning. And also, I had speed um, people, speed players, coming on the channel, chatting about it, and they were giving me tips. But it didn't matter if I was doing yeah. something wrong. They went, "Oh, you screwed up." Yeah, but it doesn't matter. No. Yeah, <laughs> that game is a joy to play. Um,
1: and and
0: people, it, if you pitch it to someone, you go, "This is the worst idea ever."
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like I still think about like, hey, because I I went through the whole pitching process and like designing, and like putting together decks, trying to get my game funded. If I had like, hey, it's pinball, but in an open world, and you have pinball dungeons, like anywhere on paper, like I wouldn't think this is going to work out. Like, no. I
0: they'll ask you to leave. <laughs> like, yeah, I, man, <laughs> stop they did did my time. Such
1: a good job! Oh, no, oh, no. I can't believe
0: it. It's, it's so good. I still think
1: about it. Like, where where did I go wrong? Underestimating how good this could be. Yeah, um, that. That game really changes like really challenges me as a developer and a maker of things to kind of think bigger.
0: Yeah. And it is there's also the tone. The tone, it is full of joy. Yeah. You know? There is bad things happening, but it doesn't matter because, you know, everything's gonna be all right in the end.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it things are just like non threatening enough. Um and my, my daughter is six and exactly. Yeah. Uh, that was just like the perfect game to play together. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind yeah. of the first game that has like pretty high skill that she could actually kind of drive with a controller. Um usually, you know, I, I have to kinda of help her out with stuff. Um but that 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 game is so good.
0: It's brilliant. Mm. Fair play to you, sir. Well well done. So Nick, last question in the first half. See, okay, uh, you, you just last one. And um, this is giving you an idea. I think you've already, you, you, again, partially answered this. But let's see what what it's going to be. Uh, what are you playing right now? Mm,
1: mm. That, uh, kind of nothing, honestly. Like I, I just finished uh, Yoga Island Express*. I have Indeed. a bunch of games in my queue, and I am so busy with like well, well, we, we, have a, stuff. we have a
0: caveat to this question okay it's okay. called what are you planning to play right <laughs> mm. okay okay this this is pretty good
1: um i am still playing uh this indie game that my friend made called luca uh luca born of a dream i think is what the the subtitle is and that game is really really good um and I've slowly working my way through it. It came out like maybe a year and a half ago. Okay. Um, so I've been playing that. Um, that's, that's my list. You know, I'm, I'm kind of working on a new game and yeah. I'm, it's, it's kind of an open worldy kind of thing. I can't say too much about it, but I'm playing a lot of games kind of in that space. Uh, Yoku's Island actually was one of those. And that's why I was playing that. Um, it yeah i'll, I'll say I'm, I'm looking at kind of i'm playing a lot of games right now for research and not oh.
0: really
1: necessarily for fun
0: oh, uh, okay and for you and to I, reveal that would actually then people maybe able to guess what your next project is possibly
1: oh i'm, I'm actually pretty happy to talk about oh, that okay. <laughs> um, but i'm also like very much in black future 88 right now um i'm mm. working on some a lot of bug fixes.
0: Well, this <laughs> and, yeah, and, and
1: uh, some some new content for it. Um, oh, lovely. And but I, I'm also um, you know working on a, a second game, and
0: that's it's gonna be neat. No, um, uh, no, we 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 have got you know we've got Yoku and we've got the Luca game, and I think that'll yeah. cover it. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'll, I'll tell you right now. It's a uh, it's a sci-fi gardening game. Um, I've, I've been on a really hard sci-fi bender for the last few years, just, like, consuming books. Um, and this this is coming out to be a sci-fi gardening game yeah. so far until that changes.
0: It's an interesting genre because you can get some very bad sci-fi books. I found, yeah. Be wonderful yeah
1: I, no, I, I go through the Hugo list, and I okay. just... Oh,
0: there yeah, There's, you go. That's there's nice enough, say. like,
1: nominees and novellas and, like, enough of a backlog yeah. That I've not like con- like devoured the entire like history of Hugo winners yet, um, so when I when I do that maybe I'll finally get to the bad sci-fi books. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have re- I've read a few shitty ones like that you know a friend gave me or maybe a like a well-regarded book that I personally didn't enjoy. That's uh,
0: fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To this day, I should have never read all the Dune books. Just the first one would have been oh. Fine. Those books look.
1: I see them at every library or a book sale <laughs> yeah. or like a estate sale I go to. I'm like, somebody bought that, but like some of those last ones don't.
0: Yeah, they don't. They don't. Just, yeah. Didn't need to know about that strange shenanigans. Right. Yeah,
1: you know, I saw the movie, the one with Sting in it. Like, so yeah. Much, and I know it was not like people's most favorite version of of, of Dune. I personally liked it because I was. I was like 10, so I didn't really know how faithful or how good it was. Um, And I think it's like as a fixture of my childhood, I have a certain attachment to that. Um, And then I've also met enough just like insufferable people that loved all the Dune books. I'm like, I don't, I think I'm good. I think I'm done with like the Dune, Dune verse. Yeah. yeah. The Dune verse. Um, The
0: the first book was finest, and then the rest. Anyway, (laughs) let's move on to the second half of the show where we delve deep into Black Future 88.
1: It's going to be really
0: fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to those. Good. Good. I, I know I am. I've been for a while. Let me you. to be on the show. So, this first question this isn't a real question, it's a request. Could you please tell us, what is Black Future 88?
1: Um, Black Future 88 is a nihilistic synth-punk roguelite action platformer where you only have 18 minutes to live uh and basically uh, yeah you have to climb and murder a living tower called scum out um and things go really fast um everything counts and yeah i'll just stop there i think that's 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 what black future 88 is
0: yeah we'll flesh it out as we go through these questions yeah. but that's pretty much it i think yeah. one mechanic we do have to explain is that um you it is very much you um making your way through areas as quickly as possible um, areas are locked off until you killed everything uh, uh, and generally, so that slows you down somewhat unless you yeah. find everyone very quickly and dispatch them as quickly as you humanly can uh, and then move on either, or do you? Do you move on? We'll talk about that in a second yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> So first question, uh, and the one that struck me, and it's something that reviewers and observers or commentators I sometimes call them uh, or ourselves have uh, noted Because unlike most roguelikes where you you die and then you get resurrected and then you get bonuses and boosts and you know they add some uh health to you they increase your weapon capabilities yeah. and stuff whereas in black future 88 that doesn't happen what happens is yes, you've unlocked stuff after you've died because of the effort you put in uh, but you don't get that stuff from the outset <laughs> oh no you gotta you gotta earn it you gotta find Otherwise, it you, you got to go and find it why yes. Why? Chris, I'm, I'm
1: so glad this is our first question. This this is, like, the most important part to me. Yeah. Um, and I, I think early on in development, I was really on the fence of, like, hey, do you have, like, this kind of grindy progression where you kind of, like, even if you just aren't clicking with a game, you have a little more health next time, you do a little more damage. Um, you know, a lot of roguelike games have done this very successfully. Um, and I... I at the time I didn't really have quite an opinion on it. I I I thought like both paths were going to be really good. Um, And then my my friend Ryan told me like, hey, what I love about playing Spelunky is that I know that every run this could be my best run ever. And I'm like, oh, that's it. That's exactly it. That's uh, I had no opinion on this before like five seconds ago. But now I am all about this idea. You're this is 100% it. So I I really want that, like, the arc and the progression is really about the player and their immersion and involvement in the game. And it's them, um, you know, the game is so punishing and sneaky and cryptic that the game isn't really mechanically that hard. It's really about learning and mastering the content. Um, And so that's kind of, like, the crux of difficulty. And having the player just, like, kind of eke out like more knowledge about how weapons work what their effective ranges are um kind of how tower upgrades and tower curses work um that that's really where the challenge is uh and really mastering kind of the world of black future to me all of a sudden is a lot more fun than grinding out stats so that that was kind of the the history behind that decision
0: for me, it feels like, and forgive me to, to break this down, what you've made here is, is quite complex, but I love to. It feels like, it's like one of those sliding puddles. Yeah. You've got a little picture, and it's just like, I kind of know what the picture is, but what if I move that one and that one there? Oh, no. No, see, that didn't work. <laughs> and eventually, but you figure out all these pieces have a relationship. Yeah. And sometimes you've got to destroy parts of that picture to make the rest of the picture like a rubik's cube the thing about rubik's cube is it's not about making the sides no it's really about understanding the pattern and eventually you there's all the sides come together but it takes a lot of destruction before you actually create and um that's the case with black future 88 yeah like
1: like the rubik's cube like a lot of novices will approach it and like they'll try to get the faces like the actual sides but like no the to actually solve it, you have to solve it by layers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, uh, I, I think that's a similar kind of analogy to, to Black Future 88. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not really about um, the moment-to-moment gameplay. It, it's kind of like internalizing how the whole picture fits together and kind of building a strategy to get yourself um, through the tower as best you can and, and deal with just like all the stuff that happens while you're doing that.
0: Yeah. And it's a, it's a visual delight, but again, we'll talk about that <laughs> later. Um, I just want to ask about this particular uh, thing that struck me about the game, is that it is a platformer in its heart, but it's also a bit of twin-stick shooting. In other words, you can use the uh, the analog stick to actually fire. Uh, yeah. And, and how did you find marrying those two, what I would believe somewhat contrasting control methods, together?
1: How did I find it? Like, I, I, I are you asking like for the justification there or kind of like what was like, or, or or I guess like the design process?
0: Yes. Just really okay. the understanding of why did you go with that? You could have gone oh, yeah. it different ways or was it always there? I don't
1: know. Mm-hmm. No, that was actually really iterative. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of tell you how it started is, yeah. you know, the game, you know, early on, it had just a tremendous amount of guns and it was very gun based. And, it also has had the same verticality that it has now. Like it's always had just like really dynamic, fast, fluid motion. Um, but it also when it started to have, you know, you would aim with the right stick and then it had a fire button. Um, and it had some other stuff. Like if you fired the weapon without aiming it, it would just shoot the gun just straight, kind of straight off the character, just, you know, whatever. Um, and when I was doing early play tests, when I was putting it in front of strangers and watching them play, they kind of played it in a way that um, wasn't how I wanted them to play it. Uh, they, their approach was completely valid; they just weren't really aiming. So, and that—that's, you know, given that control scheme, that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's a lot. It takes a lot more manual dexterity to aim, and I wanted someone to get in there and have to aim, and I—I I wanted them to have to take advantage of the verticality of the game um, to really do kind of like. The thing that happens so much in the game is jumping over an enemy and shooting it and kind of tracking its position under you with the right stick. Um, and the best way to do that was at the at the time was to take away the fire button. Uh, and so all players always have to aim all the time. And it was kind of like a random thing. I did it during GDC like two years ago, uh, just kind of between play tests. I just did it one morning before going out again. I'm like, hey, I'm going to, take out the fire button. I think I can do that. Um, and that, that was pretty good. That I, I was actually really happy with that for a very long time, uh, until it came to put it on the switch <laughs> and, then, and then it became a really big problem because, um, it's generally a bad idea on, um, in terms of, like controller interface design to use the right stick and the face buttons, uh, usually use like kind of a dual shooter or a dual stick approach of you might use both the face sticks and then the shoulder buttons. Um, Or you would use like, you know, some of the face buttons, but not really the right stick at the same time. Um, So the problem with the switch controller though, is that the way they position the right stick just doesn't really make this feasible. You can't really do face buttons and the right stick Um, and so while the game had kind of skated on this like very thin line of like, Hey, you kind of use the sticks and the face buttons for, it had skated on this line for like a very long time. By the time it was running on the switch, it was like, Oh, this feels terrible. Um, so it really needed just like a simple button that would always attack the thing that the player should probably be attacking. Um, and that's kind of when kind of the auto attack gameplay came in. Um, and that that really changed the pace of the game because you can just press the X button on an Xbox controller or um, whatever it is on the Switch, I guess the the Y button, and um, the the player will kind of find the thing that is closest to them that they can see that presents the biggest threat, and it'll automatically attack them. Um, but you can still aim with the right stick on Switch. So that that's kind of the Genesis or the the iteration of, of how the controls worked out.
0: Interesting. Um- yeah, because on my um, Switch, I, I have Hori controllers, so they're basically like a, an Xbox controller split in half. So rather than little dinky things, I have these chunky things, so it makes life a little bit easier. Oh, really? It's yeah. a Hori controller? Yeah, I'll, I'll link it to you at the end of the show. Okay. They're, they're amazing. Uh, nice. uh, but they basically just turn the controllers into something you can actually grasp rather than hold, if you get my meaning.
1: Oh, nice! I do see it actually. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, yeah. yeah. It's yeah.
0: So that makes you know playing Black Future '88 and Chasm much <laughs> easier. Oh, than, really? Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. Chasm do something similar? Uh, no, I just found it easier to play with that controller. Sort of yeah,
1: thing. yeah. Personally, the the Joy Cons, um they're. I think they they made a, a really great device with the Switch, but I think they made the most sacrifices with the Joy Cons. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, coming from like just a, a sturdy controller, like a, a DualShock Four or an Xbox One controller, yeah, it's then it's, going to Switch. It's like, oh, I want more from this controller. Yeah, it's a tough um, sell.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right. So, third question, and this is sort of uh, uh, related to the what I was talking about when people go off piste They go off like the course. Like you got a little skull pointing to where the boss is. It's like, yeah, but yeah. Uh, what's what's down there? Oh, nothing? Yeah. No, 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 what's what's down there? Nothing? No, seriously, nothing. what's down there? Something! <laughs> Something? Something, Something. so really. There's a lot yeah. of models of risk-reward within Black Future 88. For, yeah. Sorry for the mechanic description there, listeners, but it honestly is. It's, it's a, an abundance, layers upon layers yes. of risk-reward, uh, yes. with the most obvious being the temptation to go to... Side, what I call side areas. I'm not sure what, the, yeah. what you describe. Uh, to it's get off the more. critical path, I guess. Yeah, they're basically. I believe them to be. Typically, you get something from them: something good, yeah. something bad, some, just something happens in them. There are enemies there you have to take down, but or some maybe not. There's a shopkeeper. That's nice. Yeah, but how have you balanced their presence against the uh, player's actual progress to the top of the tower?
1: Yeah. So that, that kind of comes down, it's like a, I think I only have a very technical answer for this. So uh, apologies in advance. Um, but it, it really is part of kind of how you make or, or kind of how you hammer a procedural generation system into something that feels fun um, and feels good or satisfies certain rules. Uh, so for Black Future 88, it's it's actually built like a layer cake uh, the procedural generator, like it it builds the first layer of the tower and then it kind of puts the boss at the top of it and then off the boss it'll build like the next layer of the tower. so it, it builds the whole world at once. It doesn't have any loading screens once you're in the tower you're you're in it for good. Uh, and there's a lot of really cool stuff you can do with that. but it's also really hard to kind of put enough constraints and rules and to hammer kind of a procedural generation system into a thing that, feels balanced and feels fun um, because sometimes you know the path to the boss that might only be like that might be really fast there might be just like three rooms and a player can um they can just do the few combat rooms get to the boss and they won't have found any of the upgrades or any of the secrets in that area uh, they may not have hit the shopkeeper or the the buff stations uh, and they might be missing a lot of stuff but they saved a lot of time uh, and this is kind of where the time balancing starts to come in or the, uh, the time mechanics, a lot of this stuff kind of balances itself out, honestly. Uh, and a lot of it, I, I can always, I have, oh, I always have a lever. I can say, well, this area, instead of having 20 rooms, now it only has 18. Uh, so that means kind of the side avenues are shorter. Uh, it'll still always have a shop. It might still always have a buff station. But it'll take the player less time to go find every corner of that area. Uh, So that's kind of how it bounces out. But the real challenge is adding rules to a procedural generation system and making it fun. And also making it fast to generate uh, and not just having to brute force the tower, which is actually what I do.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and uh, I think it's very... Does indicate that yes, each level is procedurally generated. Everyone there are, and that's a a fascinating thing. That's been around for over uh, thirty odd years now, maybe. Uh, Yeah. But it's only recently that people have got the gist of how it really can empower the creation of levels, or indeed, it's it's a fine art because sometimes you find oh this feels like it's been made by a machine <laughs> because yeah. like, you can see that you can see almost see the boolean logic, how it came to be like, Oh, that's why that's there.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, the, the, the time pressure though, is like that, that risk reward mechanic yeah. really does. Um, it, it makes exploring risky because a lot of things can kill you very rapidly also, but also anytime you spend exploring, it costs you time to do that. Does. Uh, does. So that, that to me is, really
0: wonderful <laughs> yeah yeah you've got 18 minutes is that like a minute a level no it doesn't work that way you know it doesn't but yeah yeah so <laughs> and yeah a minute's a long time in games like this so yeah there was a lot happening in the foreground of where the player is interacting to the point of some scenes being obscured by events that are happening in the foreground like things whizzing by and that kind of thing yeah and um it's only for a moment, but uh, I just want to know, is this deliberate?
1: Yeah, uh, and most <laughs> of it happens in areas that don't have combat. Um, right. it, I, I do understand that like, to have that stuff happening in the combat area is really distracting because it's on a forward plane from where the actual gameplay is. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's almost like you focus your eyes on something. Even though yeah. you're physically just staring at the same screen, it does feel like you're changing the focus of your eyes. Um, so it actually doesn't happen all the time in combat areas. Uh, only if you somehow end up fighting in a room that wasn't really meant for combat. Uh, but yeah, it is. It is deliberate, uh, and most of the time, though, it's just there for decoration.
0: Indeed. Just, like, yeah. But I felt that there are there's a there's a mechanic. I think what I was trying to tease out there is that was it always there? Was it something you, do, you designed it so to keep the player? Um, engaged with the screen and realizing that actually there's more to this realm than this 2D plane. I don't know. It's it just it was a I, I really really appreciate its presence. I really do. But I can understand what, like the, the, for the timing of it. It's like wait, I was just about to hit the thing and this thing appeared in front of me. It's like yeah. Oh yeah. Really? yeah.
1: I guess I think I've I've felt
0: frustrated by it at some points too. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know it's just you're in a you know post apocalyptic world and you've got 18 minutes to live. And, come on <laughs> yeah
1: the tower is alive and you know, you're always gonna die from something in the game. yeah yeah
0: there, there's nice. no
1: run that doesn't end with death
0: no indeed not well that was the last question nice yeah nice. well done so black future 88 uh by super scary snakes that's me <laughs> yeah is it, uh, where does the name come from but i
1: Um, you know, I that was me just I really need a name. I watched a talk by Rami Ismail about how little he wanted to spend on naming a studio and I'm like, oh that kind of makes a lot of sense. Um you know, I feel like the name of a studio is it can be important to me, but doesn't really need to be such a big deal. Um I wanted something just very fun, very easy. Very fast. Something that encouraged me to not take things so seriously because sometimes I, I fall into that trap. Yeah. Um, so it, it's deliberately a little goofy, um, even though it's all super scary snakes. It sounds very serious. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the the icon is a snake all tied up in a knot. It looks very threatening, except it's goofy because it's stuck <laughs> in a knot, uh, which is me on most days. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I wanted something that specifically uh, encouraged me to have fun with it. With cool. it. Otherwise, um, I would probably not. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah, so Black BlackFuture88 is out now on Windows PC and Nintendo Switch. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Cool. Right. Well, Don, it's been fantastic having you on the show. You've been a fantastic guest. Chris, thank you so much.
1: I really appreciate it. This is super fun.
0: Yeah, and they are more than welcome to come back. We have returned guests. Uh happened a lot recently because of the the, uh, the age of the show. A lot of people come back after spending two to three years, or maybe even some long, sometimes longer, going, I made a new thing. Oh, nice. Um, so that's uh, you're all welcome to do that for your good self when you've finished our latest project, whatever that may be. Oh, that would be wonderful. I would love that. But in the meantime, thank you very much. All right. Thanks so much, Chris.